Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. Hope you've had a great week, and it's really good to be with you again this morning. I want to continue in our little series on John's vision of the throne room of God. When I was in junior high school, my teacher showed us a, a film and it was from the Beatles World Tour in 1964. And rather than showing the Beatles on the stage, what I found interesting was so much of the time the camera was aimed at the front row of the audience and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I still remember it vividly to this day. Here's one of my favorite photos uh, of that audience. And when you look at the faces of the fans, you see the full spectrum of human emotions at the same moment, depending on which person is there. You see what looks like bliss. I mean, some of these people, just they look like they're, not, they're in another place right now. You see hysteria that's almost bordering on terror. They look frightened to be in that moment. There's confusion. There is yearning that almost looks like grief or forlornness. There are so many different emotions people feel. But what I felt uh, was tying them all together was that none of them seemed forced or artificial. Every one of those people was having an irrepressible response to something. They loved the Beatles. They loved their music with the idea that those four men in the flesh and blood were only like 20 feet away from them. It was overwhelming for them, and they were having a natural reaction to that. And what I remember in my, in my young mind thinking is this is the closest visual depiction I'd ever seen to what I think we call worship. When I got to high school, I, I went to a retreat and the speaker taught us that the word worship, the English word worship is actually based on an old English pair of words that literally translate to worth-ship. And what he meant by that was worship is really just a way of expressing what someone or something is worth to us. That's what worship really is. And when I looked at those audience members in the Beatles concert, they left no doubt in my mind what the Beatles were worth to them. I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of the people in that front row would have given up five or ten years of their life just to touch the hand of one of the Beatles. You know, last week we looked at the, the vision uh, of John in the throne room of God. And what we saw was it was a room filled with spectacle. You've got these fantastical creatures, which in, in one level can symbolize every living creature in the animal kingdom. And you've got these elite elders of humanity, all the people who have known and trusted and believed in God. And then you have these spectacular audiovisual effects. And yet in spite of all the stuff worth looking at, every single person and being in the throne room of heaven is focused fully on the throne at the center, on God who's seated there. And this morning, I want, to, I want to fixate, I want to lock in on what the elders are doing at the very end of chapter 4 in that vision. If you look at Revelation 4, verses 9 through 11, here's what it says. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, listen to this, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor 
and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So what we have is a picture of these 24 elders stepping off of their thrones, taking their crowns off their heads, getting on the ground, and laying those crowns reverently at the feet of God on the throne as an act of worship. One of the most common or frequent questions we'll ever ask in our lives is, is it worth it? Think about how many times you ask that question, if not out loud, at least in your own head, it's the most fundamental question of cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth it? In other words, is what I hope to gain worth more than what I'm being asked to give up? Is the cost worth the gain? We make this calculation almost every time we buy something. Is it worth it? And think about how many times you were eating something and then decided to stop eating it because it wasn't worth the calories. So we're doing this cost-benefit analysis really almost on an hourly basis in life. It's all the time. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? We also ask that question when the stakes are a lot higher. When you get a job offer that, that invites you to leave something stable and known in order to venture out into something that's possibly great, but you just don't know, it can be scary, and so we're asking, is it worth it to leave what I know in order to venture out into what I don't? We ask it when we're weighing whether we should marry someone or not. We even ask it when we're, when we're wondering whether we should stay married to that person or not. Sometimes we have to do this cost-benefit analysis, is it worth it, when we're making major medical decisions, and probably later on when we're making end-of-life decisions. And so when the stakes are much higher, we're still engaged in this cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth it? And it's a question that haunts us for all our lives, and it's an important question. We usually know the value of what we're being asked to give up. Fifty bucks is fifty bucks. So I know that, that I know what the thing is that I have in my hand that I'm being asked to give up. The key, though, is knowing the value, the true value of what you hope to gain. That's the only way you're going to get it right, whether it's worth it or not. I know what 50 bucks is worth, but I don't know for sure what that thing is worth. And so that's the calculation. Do you see how that works? The key is knowing the value of what you hope to gain. If you get it wrong, you'll be ripped off and you'll have regret. But if you get it right, you will get much more gain than what you paid in cost. And there's going to be rejoicing. So this is the way life works. And we ask this question quite often when we're facing the cost with the hope of some kind of gain. Jesus tells a story in Matthew 13 about such an event. He tells a story of a man who finds something. Listen to how Eugene Peterson's The Message translates the story. God's kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field for years and then accidentally found by a trespasser. The finder is ecstatic. What a find! And proceeds to sell everything he owns to raise money and buy that field. This guy accidentally stumbles on what he believes is a great treasure, but don't miss this little detail. He goes back and every single thing he owns, he liquidates in order to buy this field. How often have you come across something so valuable, so worthy, that its worth is greater than the sum total of everything you currently possess? What this man is saying is, I found something that is worth more than everything I have currently in this life. So that even if I have to liquidate all of it, there's no plan B. 
it's worth it because what I found in that having it, I, I will gain so much more than liquidating everything that I own. What in your life is worth more than the sum total of everything that you have? If we could see how valuable a life with God really is, how truly worthy He is, I think what would dawn on us is that no cost we are asked to pay ultimately is too high. When we ask the question, is it worth it, and we're weighing the kingdom of God, this life with God, one of the things that is repeated for us throughout Scripture is, yes, this kingdom is worth more than any other thing you could ever hope to gain, no matter what the cost. But we also ask that question, is it worth it, when we're facing the prospect of cost without the hope of gain? In other words, when we're suffering or having to make sacrifices, it almost always triggers that same question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You know, sometimes um, we're asking really, can I, how long can I really keep doing this or living this way? And I want to get personal for a minute because some of you, you have been living this way. You, you have borne the weight of suffering and sacrifice very faithfully. It hasn't been easy, and it would have been so much easier to give up. You've held on to hope when hope seemed stupid and foolish. You've served and sacrificed selflessly, even though you never got any acknowledgement or gratitude from the people you've served. You've forgiven recklessly. You've swallowed your pride more times than you can count. You've held your tongue. In spite of all that cost, you don't seem to gain anything. Things don't seem to get any better or change. And you're asking yourself this existential question, is it worth it? The, the mystery is not what the right thing to do is. The mystery is how long can I keep doing it because I'm facing the prospect of cost without the hope of gain, or at least so it seems. And that's a very important question and one we shouldn't trivialize because some of you are in that very place right now asking yourself, is it worth it? to keep trying to do what is right when there does not appear to be a commensurate or proportional gain in your life for living that way. The 24 elders are not the only ones who will have heavenly crowns. In fact, there are several places in the New Testament where it's promised that we too can receive a crown in heaven. When you look at James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. When we skip ahead to Revelation 2, verse 10, it says, and it's kind of adding a new dimension to this, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. What these verses are promising us, among others, there are other promises of crowns that we will receive in heaven, is that those who endure trials and hardships, which are sure to come in this life, they will get a crown. And the point is not so much that suffering buys you a crown, like just because I endured suffering, I get something in exchange. It's that in spite of the suffering, we made a fundamental choice to turn towards God and not away from Him in response to the pain and the loss that we're experiencing. It's so easy when you're in pain to make the decision that it's God's fault 
and He is the one who's betrayed me, and to turn our backs on Him. Many people have made that decision, and it's not a crazy one. I get why you would do that. But the crown comes for those who, in spite of the hardship and suffering that life inevitably brings, make the fundamental choice to turn towards God in spite of the pain and fight to hold on to faith and cry out to Him. In 1 Peter 5, 4, another promise is given regarding crowns, and this one's given to spiritual leaders. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And in the verses preceding that, what Peter is saying to spiritual leaders is those of you who serve with integrity, who live your life as living examples, who serve with a willing and humble heart and go the distance, finish well. That's no small thing, would you agree? The headlines tell us almost on a monthly basis now that living really well in ministry is not that hard. Finishing well is really a significant thing. And so for those spiritual leaders who truly live for Christ and love His people with integrity, humility, willingness, an exemplary life, they will also be given a crown to acknowledge that that was not an easy path to take. And I'm not just talking about people like me who are vocational ministers. I'm talking about you, anybody who, who makes a conscious choice to stand and be counted among the leaders of God's people to bear responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others. If you are doing that right now and you stay faithful to the end, the promise given to us is there will be a crown of glory given to us that will not fade away. And if you ever said yes to a call to ministry at any level, you know that that is not an easy life. There are many times when you're tempted to quit. It seems like such a thankless and discouraging thing, and yet God says it is worth it in the end. Even when it feels like your life is all, all pain and no gain, right? You know, we say no pain, no gain. For some of us, our stories, it's all pain and no gain. And so we ask the question, is it worth it? And God's answer is, in God's economy, there is no net loss. We will give up many things, but the crown is His reminder that at the end of all things, everything we've done is acknowledged. Everything. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And I know some of us hear that and think, well, no thanks, I want my reward now. But I just want you to know that this life is lived in a broken world and hardship comes. But it is possible to hold on to the end by the grace of God and by our decision to turn towards Him rather than away from Him in the midst of hardship and cost. I want to wind things down this way. I was so moved early in my Christian life when I read a book called Living Sacrifice by a woman named Helen Rosevere, it remains to this day one of the most formative reads I have ever made in my life. It, just, it so touched me. Um, she was a medical missionary, an English woman, who at the age of 28 in the year 1953 went to the Congo, and she was a very skilled surgeon and decided she wanted to serve this underserved area. And so she built a 100-bed hospital and over the years also started 48 rural clinics 
an amazingly fruitful ministry. But then civil war broke out in 1964 after... Uh, they gained their independence as a nation. And every single one of those facilities she'd worked so hard to build was utterly destroyed in the warfare. In 1964, she and nine other missionaries were held captive by rebel forces, and they were subjected to the worst kind of humiliation, violence, degradation. On October 29th, 1964, my birthday, three, three years to the day before I was born, She was brutally violated and left for dead in the middle of a field. In deep despair that night, broken in spirit and body, she felt that God had failed her. I remember listening to an audio recording of a talk she gave as she shared her testimony in 2011 in Keswick, England. And she said that she felt God had somehow failed her, that He could have stepped in sooner to help her. And she felt so broken, so defeated, and she cried out to Him. And that was the turning point, because she could have turned away from Him and just cried, but she cried out to Him. She felt that He had let her down, and yet it broke her because she knew that she wanted Him to love her, that she loved Him. And so she cried out to Him and said, Please come. And take care of me now. Don't stay far away. And that night, broken in the the most broken possible sense of the word, she felt God draw near to her. She felt Him wash over her like warmth. And she had grown up, her mother told her, all your life, Helen, you, you asked the question, is it worth it? When they made you take Latin in order to graduate high school, it's a dead language, pointless, what's the, what's the use? And you kept saying, is it worth it? But if that was required for you to finish high school, you said it's worth it. When all your friends finished university after three years, and you had to stay on for four more years for medical school, you asked the question, is it worth it? And you concluded, it is worth it in order to become a doctor. All her life, that was her motto, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And that's the question she was asking that night, Who among us wouldn't ask the question? If you've gone to another country to do nothing but good, to serve the people, and those very people had brutalized you, and you were still there physically wondering, do I stay, do I go home, what do I do about all of this? Wouldn't you ask the question, is it worth it? But that night she testifies that as God washed over her and drew near to her, He gave her a a new question to ask. He whispered it into her soul, and it was this question. It's not, is it worth it, but is He worthy? I remember the first time I read that, thinking, how powerful a change of perspective that really is. Because I know this, the most powerful and enduring motivations in my life have not been about certain gains or benefits or outcomes, not a situation. It's always been relationships. You know, I've been married to Jeannie 26 years now, and I love her. I can't always say that married life is worth it. And don't, don't, be, don't take that wrong. I'm not saying there's trouble in paradise, okay? I'm saying married life as a lifestyle, as a way of doing things, it's not always convenient. It's not always filled with bliss. I can't honestly say married life is worth it. But I can say being with Jeannie is worth it. And that's the way that God changed the question for Helen Rosevere. Is this work, this life, this choice of vocation worth it? Not always. 
but is the one who has called her into it worthy of everything, no matter what? And she could not deny her spirit saying, yes, he is worthy even now, even in the midst of this. Revelation 5.12 tells of the song that is going to be sung again and again on that day. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The song of heaven declares that He is worthy because He was slain. You know, I think none of us enjoy being confronted with pain and suffering and the prospect of death in our lives. But we are never closer to understanding the worth and the worthiness of Jesus than when we're in those low places. Because the reason He is worthy to receive our praise and worship is that He willingly forfeited His own life because He was slain. He is worthy of our worship. And on the good days, it's hard to feel the weight of that. But when we're facing death ourselves, on the lowest days of our lives, those words ring truer than ever. We're so close to understanding His heart when we're the most broken and we realize He endured this for me. I knew it in my head, but in this moment of lowness, I feel it in my spirit. Every sacrifice you will ever make, every insult you will ever endure, every freedom that you forfeit, every selfless act of service, every high road you will ever take for the sake of Christ, it's all seen by God. I think 90% of the good things we do are not seen by human eyes. It's totally missed. Most people around us have no idea how often we have done the right thing in their lives for the sake of God. Just like the sun that shines every day and we don't thank it, acknowledge it, it's just there. I know that so many of us, we do right every day and it's not acknowledged. And you wonder, is it worth it to live like this? No one ever sees. And here's the encouragement. Every one of those acts is seen by God. And one day when this life is done, He will lovingly place a crown on your head in acknowledgement of everything people missed, but He saw. He will say, I was honored by the choice you made. I believe in those moments you saw my worth. And this crown on your head is a symbol of my affirmation, my acknowledgement of your whole life lived to the end in a posture of faith. You know, some of us have been living all our lives hoping to receive that kind of affirmation from a friend, a parent, a spouse, a boss, just anyone who will say, I see you and I like what I see. We crave it. We define our whole lives by it. And yet God says, I am the one who never sleeps, I see everything, and I have seen it all. And one day, you will get that affirmation and that acknowledgement. I will put that crown on your head, and you will know your life was seen. You will know that every choice you made that was not easy, He saw, and He will acknowledge it. And that's what that crown is worth. What an amazing thing to think then that we will take that very crown, that hard-earned crown, which is the sum of everything we ever did that was hard but right. Our enduring faith, our sacrifice, and we'll take that very crown, instead of gloating or relishing it, we'll take it off our heads, we'll fall to our knees, because on that day, we will see Him as He truly is. We will see that He is worthy, 
And our only response will be, can be, bow to our knees in worship and say, this wasn't just for my glory, it was for you. On this day, I see you as you are, and I know that it was worth it because you truly are worthy. On that day when we see Him as He really is, we'll take that crown off and say, none of it was worthless because you are worthy. As I close out, just say, I suspect on that same day, we will also have memories of the times when we forgot that He was worthy, when we doubted it. We took the low road. We took the easy way. We took the quitter's path. And on that day, seeing His worth, we will remember with regret the days we chose differently and think to ourselves, man, if only I'd known back then what I know here. I believe John's vision is given to us now through Scripture as a gift to encourage us to live for the worthiness of Christ precisely on the days when we're most tempted to forget it. When we're asking the question, is it worth it? And we're so tempted to say in declaration, no, it's not. And I believe God has given us this vision of the throne room and this picture of beautiful worship at the end of days so that we will remember one day we will see clearly with no fog between us and Him. It's our chance to say now, I will live for that, even when it's not easy. And one day, it will all be acknowledged. And whatever I do, and whatever I endure, whatever I give up for the sake of Jesus, the promise that I can hold on to in Scripture is that I will always gain more in Him than I will ever ask to, to give up. Let's press on. When you're asking yourself, is it worth it? How much longer can I go like this? Press on. Because none of it is in vain. He sees it. He's watching. He is deeply honored. And one day He will acknowledge that you made the right choice. When we do this, we see His worth. We declare it. This is worship. Worship is not singing. It can be. But in the end, worship is a life a posture turned towards Him that says, I see what you're worth. My whole life can be worship to God, and so can yours. If you're at home right now, I want to invite you, I know that um, it may be just you or just you and your family, but I want to invite you to just pause with me for a minute. And, and we'll have a little music playing for just a minute, but I want to give you a chance, even at home, to respond to what you've just heard. Because I believe for some of you, we've described exactly where you are, and this is the question that is screaming in your spirit. Is it worth it? And I want you to invite the Lord to give you a new question to ask. Is He worthy? So just take a moment. Be still and quiet before Him. Let's just respond to the Lord and what He's done. And if you need to, you can pause the video and resume it when you feel ready. Life comes with hardship. It comes with cost. Whenever we're facing that cost, we will ask, is it worth it? May God give you a new question by which your life will be defined. Is He worthy? Is He worth it? 
One day we will see just how worthy He is. And so as we walk day by day in a world that sometimes hides Him from our view, may this vision give you strength and encouragement that one day it will all be shown to have been worth it. Because the God we do all of this for is so worth this and so much more. If you're going through really hard times and it's so hard to make the right choice today, may God give you the grace of showing you how much He is honored by what you're doing, how He's still watching you, working for you, and you will see at the end of the day that none of it was in vain and that He will acknowledge you and He will be honored by what you've done. So press on. Don't give up. Go to the distance. Go to the end. May God bless you by being real in your life this week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed now and forever. Amen. So glad we could worship together this morning. I want to invite you to have a week filled with the presence of God. Continue responding to Him in different ways throughout the week to what you've heard this morning. And we'll see you next week. Have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.